Social media has the uncanny ability to make ordinary people famous. Two years ago, my five-year-old cousin happened to be one of those people. There's a video of him accidentally licking a marker while tallying how many licks it takes to get to the center of a Tootsie Pop. And that video was shared or seen nearly seven million times. He was flown out to California to be a guest on the Steve Harvey Show. And he was famous. Unfortunately, I think his fame lasted less than the number of suckers that was given to him out of, I don't know, thanks for the free advertising with Tootsie Pops? I'm not sure. But he's not famous anymore, to my knowledge. All it took, though, was a camera at the right time and a right place. And thanks to YouTube, which you're probably watching this service on, another legend was born 10 years ago. Paul Vasquez looked out his window in Yosemite and saw a thing of beauty. He was overwhelmed by it, and it brought him to tears. For three and a half minutes, he captures the wonder and shares his narration, asking God, what does this mean? Tell me. It's too much. Tell me what this means. It's so intense. You might be wondering what exactly it was that Paul saw that day, and in his words, it was a double rainbow all the way, right in his very own front yard. That video clip has been viewed nearly 47 million times, and people are still commenting on it 10 years later. Full disclosure, probably five of those views are from me. I'll admit to that. But with that many views, Paul could have been paid a pretty penny by allowing people to advertise on his video. But instead, he wanted this video to be a gift, a free gift to the world. And that's how the double rainbow guy reached internet immortality. If a clip of a rainbow can be viewed 47 million times, can you imagine what kind of a stir would have been created if Jesus was born during the social media age? How long would it have taken for news about Jesus' miracles and resurrection to circle the globe? Just a matter of seconds. Imagine how cool it would have been to be able to see an actual video of Paul preaching. Or maybe even to see some surveillance footage of Paul or Saul being blinded on the road to Damascus by Christ. How neat would it see? How neat would it be to see Peter or Matthew or John or see Jesus do any one of the many miracles recorded for us in Scripture? It'd be pretty cool, wouldn't it? However, God had a different plan. He isn't sitting on the throne today thinking, oh, nuts, I missed it. If only I would have waited a little bit longer than everybody would have known. No, he sent his son at the right time, at the fullness of time, the scriptures say. He knew what he was doing. He had a different route for, life for the life-giving truth of the gospel to reach hearts and minds around the world, an avenue that will never be outdated. Through his spirit, he uses his word and he uses his people. I'll invite you to open up your Bibles with me to Luke chapter 24. Our text for today is from Luke chapter 24, beginning at verse 44 and going through verse 53. And as we see how God plans to make this message reach every tribe, every tongue, and every nation. Luke chapter 24, starting at verse 44. And I'll invite you to stand out of respect for God's word. Reading in Jesus' name. Now he said to them, These are my words which I spoke to you, while I was still with you, that all things which are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. 
And he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead the third day, and that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending forth the promise of my Father upon you, but you are to stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And he led them out as far as Bethany, and he lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they, after worshiping him, returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple, praising God. Father God, these are your words, and your word is true. We pray that you would sanctify us in your truth here today, Lord. Open up our hearts and our minds to receive this message. Lord, we pray that you would give us understanding through your word and through your spirit as well. We pray that you would be with us as we worship you in spirit and in truth today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. A couple of weeks ago I mentioned that at the time of the resurrection, the world was still in the dark as to what had happened. When the women ran to tell the disciples of the empty tomb, the disciples doubted. Some went to check it out for themselves, but they still weren't sure what it all meant. It wasn't until Christ appeared to his disciples, huddling behind locked doors, that they all realized that Jesus is indeed alive. Despite the fact that Jesus was alive, they still didn't understand what that all meant. Don't get me wrong. They were excited. They were thrilled that Jesus was back. But it wasn't until Jesus does something else that they begin to grasp the significance of what had just happened. We see it in verse 44. As Jesus says this, These are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things which are written about me in the law and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Jesus, again, is he's not changing his tune. He's not changing his message. He's saying, this is the same message that I've been preaching since day one. I came to fulfill the scriptures. And he reminds his disciples that everything that had just happened, that every, all the events that they just experienced has already been written down in God's word for centuries. Moses had written about it. So did the prophets. And even in the Psalms, you can see prophecies of Jesus that Jesus fulfilled when he was here on this earth. But even for these disciples who had been with Jesus, the very ones who heard him comment on his need to fulfill the scriptures, they didn't catch this. They heard the words of Jesus, but they didn't understand what Jesus was saying until Jesus acts here in this text. In verse 45, we're given a key verse here in scripture. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Their minds were darkened previously. They didn't understand. They had the prophecies in Scripture, but they used them to frame their own ideas of what a Savior would look like. And they couldn't see how clearly the Old Testament pointed to Jesus until their fabricated ideas of a Messiah were first wiped away. When Jesus revealed to them that the Scripture was about him and that he is a fulfillment of all the prophecies that they had been clinging to, they began to understand, and all of a sudden, it clicks for them. We often get caught in a similar trap today. We like to take passages from Scripture and apply them to our current context apart from Christ. We make the text about ourselves, about politics, about our country, or just about anything else, and we neglect to see that it's ultimately about Jesus. 
We're not alone in this. The disciples do the very same thing. They do the very same thing even on the day that Christ ascended into heaven. Right before he ascends into heaven, Luke records for us in Acts, the disciples ask this question. Lord, is it at this time that you're restoring the kingdom to Israel? They wanted their own national glory. We want to make it about ourselves. And we want our own glory too. But Jesus goes on to explain what needed to be fulfilled that the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead on the third day. And as we look at the Old Testament, we've got to ask ourselves a question. What does this specific text that we're looking at, what does this have to do with the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ? And when we ask that question, we gain understanding about who Jesus is and what he's done, and we begin to understand Scripture rightly in the way for the purpose in which it had been given to reveal to us Christ. This understanding doesn't come from our own ability to read between the lines or some clever system that we have. It comes from the Holy Spirit as he creates faith, as he shows us Jesus Christ. The message of the Old Testament is the exact same message as the message of the New Testament. And that message is salvation through Jesus Christ. Once Jesus had explained to them that the scriptures are all about him, He explains why he needed to fulfill them and why he's telling them here in verses 47 and 48. He says, And that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. The disciples had seen some pretty remarkable things through their time with Jesus. And now they even got to see the resurrected Christ. They shared food with him. They were taught by him, and now they're even being commissioned by him. The earthly ministry of Jesus is complete. He fulfilled what he came to do. But there's still the work of letting the whole world know about what has just happened. Explaining to the whole world why Jesus needed to suffer and die and rise again. And the message he gives his disciples to proclaim is a twofold message here. And these two things must always be kept together. You don't hear one without the other, or you shouldn't hear one without the other. The first part certainly wasn't glamorous. In fact, it deals with the very worst of each one of us, calling out sin for what it is. Not only the kinds of sins that Christians are known for railing against, the sins of all the people out there and not in here, but all sin, equally. I came across a quote earlier this week from one of our forefathers of the AFLC, that reveals a corruption that resides in our hearts, the natural tendency of every one of us. Georg Sverdrup writes this. He says, It is a strong bond that binds the greedy heart to its riches, the proud heart to its desire for honor, and the pleasure-seeking heart to its amusements. It is always the same for those who love the world, whatever may distract them for the moment. In their desire and lust, they always turn back to the object of their affection and dwell on that at work or at rest, at home or in church, the heart always goes back to what it treasures. This is true of each one of our hearts. Our hearts are always trying to go back to that thing that they treasure. Perhaps power, pride, and pleasure aren't your vices, but I would guarantee that there is something that your heart longs for, something that your heart craves. And if we're honest with ourselves, all too often that thing that it craves isn't the Lord. No matter how good and noble that thing may be, if it isn't the Lord, Scripture defines that craving as sin. 
that strong bond that you have toward alcohol, toward sex, towards power, glory, pride, and money, marriage, security, or any other thing, even the good thing of having children or grandchildren, desiring these things more than the God who has created them is sin. And we ought to call that for what it is. It's not a pleasant message to hear, but it's a necessary message that we must hear. And rather than following these desires of our heart and making these things our gods, the clear message of Scripture is to repent of these idols that we've created. Part one of this message is repentance. It's revealing to us the sin that resides inside of us and telling us, turn from your wicked ways and repent. The death of Christ shows us the penalty for that sin and that ought to scare us away from all sin from here on out. God never intended it, though, to be left at that. And every time there is a declaration or there is a, a call to repentance in Scripture, there is always a declaration of grace right after it. Because God wants us to know that the payment for sin has already been paid. We see the penalty in Christ, but we also see the payment that Christ has paid. Notice how Jesus speaks in verse 47. Repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations. It was written that Christ would suffer for our sins. And Jesus' fulfillment, though, doesn't end with his death. No, instead he rises again to new life. And through his resurrection, he justifies the many. Through his resurrection, he lives to intercede for us today. Through his resurrection, we too are raised and our lives are hidden with Christ in God. And we too are seated at the right hand of God the Father in the heavenlies in Christ Jesus now because of the resurrection of Christ. The forgiveness that he won on the cross is delivered. And this was God's plan. This is God's plan. The purpose of showing us our sin is always to drive us to the end of ourselves, but to drive us to Christ, to show us our need of a Savior, so that as the Spirit shows us the Savior and the wonder of a Savior that he is, that we'd be ready to receive him. This message of forgiveness should always follow the call to repentance. And God doesn't want anyone wondering whether or not our sin is forgiven. He wants us all to know, beyond the shadow of a doubt, and so he commissioned the forgiveness accomplished by Jesus here to be proclaimed to all nations, to all people, that every precious eternal human soul would hear and would know that in Christ they are forgiven and they can be forgiven. No matter what you've done, no matter who you are, no matter where you live, this message of repentance and forgiveness in Jesus Christ was meant to come to you. Before he leaves, Jesus shares his plan to make this life-giving work known throughout the world. Jesus intends to use people. And this message is an intimidating task. It's an intimidating task for these disciples who were able to spend three years with Jesus to bring this message to all the nations. How were they supposed to do that? But Jesus wouldn't leave these people to their own strength and their own abilities. He gives them a promise that, he, that gave them confidence. Jesus says, And behold, I am sending forth the promise of my Father upon you. But you are to stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. What exactly is this promise that they were going to receive? This promise is the promise of the Holy Spirit. And we have here in this verse a clear reference to the work of the triune God in our salvation. 
God the Father sends the Son. The Son accomplishes the mission of the Father. And together, God the Father and God the Son, Jesus Christ, send to us his Spirit, the Holy Spirit, which gives us understanding in the Scriptures just as he was going to give these disciples understanding. But the Holy Spirit does more than that. He's also the one who makes us holy. He's the one who brings us to Christ to receive forgiveness again and again and again and again each and every day. This was a powerful promise that Jesus was giving to his disciples here. The disciples could have gone back to cowering in fear after Jesus ascended into heaven. But they had the words of Jesus to cling to. And they also had the blessing that he, the risen and ascended Messiah, that he, the Son of God, gives to them as he is ascending into the Father, blessing them, and they indeed are now blessed. And so instead of cowering in fear, we see their confidence on display in verses 52 and 53 of our text. And they, after worshiping him, returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple praising God. Where do we find these disciples at? The temple. Do you remember who they were hiding from before they knew that Jesus had risen from the dead? And even after they heard a few reports about that, they're hiding from the Jews. Where are they again? The temple, the gathering place for Jews to worship God. And this is a place where they are going without fear, unashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They're not hiding after the crucifixion anymore, but they're surrounding themselves with other Jews and praising God. Were they mad? Were they crazy? Are they nuts? No. They just finally understood what it all meant. They understood that Jesus had fulfilled the scriptures. They understood that Jesus is the Messiah. They understood why he needed to die and rise again. They understood that Jesus has power beyond the grave and that he is giving that to believers as well. So they need not fear man anymore. They understood that this message of repentance and forgiveness was to be proclaimed to all people, even to these very ones who clamored for his crucifixion just days before. And they understood that God was still at work and that God had chosen to use them. And so they waited in the temple, praising God each and every day until the Holy Spirit would come. And they waited, praising God, assured and confident in Christ and the finished work of what Jesus came to do. And the rest is history. You can read through the book of Acts and see how that message spread throughout the world. And you can see today how that message continues to be spread through you and through the works of congregations around the world. Fast forward to today. What does all of this have to do with us here in 2020? There are still people who have never heard the gospel. There are still people who think that what they've done is so bad that they can never be forgiven. And there are people who've never even heard of Jesus Christ other than a swear. And God wants this message of repentance and forgiveness of sins to go to all people, to go to even these people. And he wants to use you to bring that message to them. And you may argue and say that you're not an evangelist, you're not a pastor, you're not a theologian, you're not a Bible scholar, you're just an ordinary person. Okay, great. Name one of these disciples that was a pastor at the time when Christ ascended into heaven. Not a one of them was an ordained pastor here. 
None of these disciples were great evangelists or theologians up until the Holy Spirit descended on them and gave them a mission and a job to do and a purpose for them. And God opened their minds to understand the scriptures. This is where it begins. When God opens up your mind to see that the scriptures are about Jesus and what God has done in order that you might be saved, and we begin to understand the heart of God for all people, for people of every tribe, every tongue, every nation, and that motivates us to share this good news with those around us. And we see that God is calling us to proclaim this message of salvation. God has given us his Holy Spirit today to lead and guide us into all truth. As you are baptized, you are baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is now in you, giving you understanding of the scriptures, leading you and guiding you into all truth. We don't have to hide in a temple in Jerusalem or wait for some other day. That day is now. The Spirit is in you. When we realize that the Bible is about Jesus, and we begin to see God at work and understand his plan of salvation, and when we see our sin for what it is, God calls us to repent of it. And so we do repent of that sin, even the sin we cling so closely to and so dearly to. And we realize that we are forgiven not because of how much we mean it or not, not because of how many tears we shed in our repenting of our sin, but we're forgiven for Christ's sake and for what Christ has done already for you on the cross. We may be intimidated by the task at hand, bringing this gospel message to all tribes, to every tongue, to every nation. But know this, that we do this with God's power, that we do this with God's promise, and we do this with God's presence. This message of repentance and forgiveness in Christ is for all people, and that includes you. So receive this message today. Let's pray. Father God, we do thank you for your word and for its truth. Even the hard parts, Lord, that we don't like to read about where you reveal to us our sin. You reveal to us the desires of our hearts and how they're not always aligned with you. More often, they're not, more often than not, Lord, they're not aligned with you and your will. We pray that you would forgive us for this. And we thank you, Jesus, for coming into this world to fulfill all of the scriptures so that we might be forgiven. We thank you for your love, for your grace, and for your mercy. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.